but uh, be part of the community here on Faith FM. We love you guys. We love hearing from you. And we have been hearing from you. We've got a number of text messages to get through here this morning. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, going back, 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 back. Uh, okay, so this, this, this one kind of is relating to something we were talking about yesterday, Lawson. Mm-hmm. It says, Hi, Lyle and Lawson. Couldn't listen to you both for a few days, but heard a few interesting updates. Israel is 90% immunized, but is now having another COVID surge. Uh, 80% of COVID patients are fully vaccinated. Also, three states in the USA are having a resurgence of COVID that are 70 to 80% vaccinated. I'm going to keep an eye on this. Also, watching Sweden, who didn't do lockdowns. Well, they did, but not as much, and are doing better with COVID cases than England, who did do lockdowns. I'm not trying to be conscientious with you, but do ask for your feedback. Okay, so here's my feedback, and I'm not an expert. That's okay? right. Just putting that out there. <laughs> I'm not a health professional. I am just an observer of what goes on in the world. Mm. And the situation in Israel and those US states is exactly what you expect and what we will have mm. here, I expect, in New South Wales uh, as we reach high levels of vaccination. That's how vaccines work. That's how they are supposed to work. So we did comment on it briefly on the Israel situation yesterday. So in January, they had close to 12,000 people with COVID. Uh, They went into pretty severe lockdowns, you know, brought that almost down to nothing as a result of lockdowns because lockdowns can stop the virus. Uh, Then they got everybody vaccinated and they eased the lockdowns and their infections went up to around about 1,100, thereabouts. Mm -hmm. So about a tenth. But that's a big surge. Why is that surge being caused? The answer is very simple. Vaccines don't stop you from getting infected. Mm-hmm. They give you the ability to fight the infection once you are infected. That's, that's the right. whole idea. That's how a vaccine works. And so when you go out of lockdowns, then obviously your infection rate is going to go up, but your rate is going to be lower because you're going to have less people who are symptomatic and therefore being tested, and your hospitalizations are going to be lower. And so since they opened up, yes, massive surge, but about one-tenth of what they had before uh, immunizations and the same in hospitalizations, about one-tenth. Mm. And that's what we expect to see here in New South Wales as well. When we you know, get our vaccinations up and we start to ease lockdowns, we can expect to see a surge because that's the way vaccines are supposed to work. So that's mm-hmm. what we should expect. Uh, what else was it here? Da, 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 da. Uh, I think that's probably much all I need to comment on that one. Okay, somebody else, Raphael, has commented that tra- planes travel at about 1,000 kilometres per hour. That's right. So your modern airliner uh, usually flies somewhere between 740 and 925 kilometres per hour. Mm. It's very fast, really. It just doesn't feel fast because you're so far from the ground. Yeah, that's right. And you feel quite safe because you're not just sort of seeing, you know, telegraph got piles go past like. like a paling fence. Yeah, that's right. It uh, Whereas if you do that in a bullet train, I think you will feel the speed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you're going to notice it in the bullet train. Mm. Franco says that he has food out of his garden all year long and that the plants look after each other. So an organic gardener right there. Mm. Organic gardening, this is an interesting science to organic gardening. And the challenge with it, of course, is being able to do it on a mass scale. Yes. But, you know, people that are really into it, they'll plant this plant beside that plant and this plant will look after that plant and protect it from bugs of, that attack, you know, on, and, and they get all this whole coordination going in their garden. It is fascinating yeah, stuff wow. and it's absolutely awesome what people can accomplish with um, planning their garden and growing it organically. I know it's probably not realistic because it would take a lot of space, but, but could you put like a group of plants and then 
you know, surround them by like with like Venus fly traps, and then you've just got like a, a weapon system, an organic weapon system, pretty much that takes out. You the could bugs. do that, Lawson. The problem is that Venus fly traps are not hungry enough. Yeah, that's right. You dude, if they, they eat, like, eat one enough. fly, they get like indigestion and yes, yeah. They're not hungry enough. They don't eat enough bugs. Okay. But, yeah, that's the, that's the basic concept behind organic farming uh, is that you figure out, you know, some plants are going to um, repel certain yeah, bugs right. and yep. you just, you know, set them all up. Freco's out there. He's living the life. He's, he's going doing, for he's, it. He's, so. he's living in this world and, he, he, yeah. He's the main character. We're just living in his world right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I think that uh, pretty much. Um, oh, we did have, we did have another question on the name of Jesus being Yeshua, mm-hmm. and of course that is the Hebrew name. Uh, and you know, I just want to point out that the writers of the New Testament primarily wrote in Greek, if not exclusively. Mm-hmm. And they transliterated the name to, uh, well, um, my Greek is terrible, but Eosos or something similar to that, mm. which we then transliterated to Jesus. So it starts with Yeshua, or which we transliterate to Joshua uh, in Hebrew. And that's a useful thing because it helps us to differentiate between Joshua the high priest or Joshua the uh, general of Israel mm. uh, from Jesus. Mm. But the only important thing that we need to worry about here is does God transliterate? And the fact is, God does. Yes. Because God wrote the New Testament by inspiring the writers of the New Testament mm. and he inspired them to transliterate. And if they are inspired to transliterate, then that is obviously a principle of communication that God has approved. If God has approved it, why are we getting bent out of shape over it? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's nothing here to to be concerned about. Anyway, let's get to our Bible study and let's go to John chapter 1. We've got the first 13 verses of John chapter 1 oh, to study here this morning. Let's go. Which is just what ah, what a passage we've got right here. Um, and so we're looking at the question, you know, what, what is this going to teach us about Jesus as our creator and our redeemer? Ah, Go for it there, Lawson. Uh, just hold on. Hold on. Uh, okay, hold on. Okay. I read it. I read it. I've got the NLT Bible here, and I read it in the it NLT, work for and you. I was like, look, no. Because <laughs> you got this memorized in the well, NKJ. Not right? even memorized. It's one of those passages that you just know off by heart. Yeah, you everybody just read it so it. many times. It's like Genesis. Like, and the NLT and, should just leave it the same as it always that's was. That's right. Like, why? Okay, because like the opening statement in the NLT is in the beginning, the world, the word, sorry. In the beginning, the word already existed. Why do you even need to say that? Like, because, yeah, <laughs> just, in in the King James, in the New King James, it's in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Like, perfect. I How, think it's actually even change? better. Because, you know, already existed is very much human language, you know, where humans, we have a beginning and an end. Mm. Whereas your KJV, NKJV, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. It existed. Mm. You know, it was just there. Yeah. It's not it's not sort of using language that we can relate to. It's using language of eternity. Yeah, that's right. It tra- it transcends the the beginning and end concept. In the beginning of the word 
that was the, the silly just, NLT is implying yeah. that it doesn't need to. <laughs> go, go listen to the laws of criticizing the NLT right, this right. morning. Let's, let's start reading here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Yes. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. How many things were made by Jesus? According to this, all things. All things were made by Jesus. Mm. Sometimes I have people come to me and say that Jesus was made by God the Father. Mm. No. Nope. Because if that was the case, then all things were not made by Jesus. Mm. But the Bible says all things were made by Jesus. That's right. So, yeah, the Bible is super clear that Jesus has always existed uh, separate from the Father, mm. uh, and he has no beginning whatsoever at all. He has always been there. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. I, I think something even further than that, it's like Jesus has, it seems here, he, he created all things. He has unlimited creative power, which is like an inherent quality of God, of something that has always existed. Um, you know, yeah, again, the, the the idea of the concept that he was created, like, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's not possible for God to bestow creative power upon creation, but that is something that we see consistently defined within the Bible as something that is only, only God has, you know, and, and, and for good reason, God would never bestow a creation, like bestow creative power like in that sense, on a creation because they're a creation. Whereas like, no, Jesus is God. But are we going to keep reading? Yes, let's keep reading. Uh, In verse 4 it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay, stop there again. Once again, I love the way that it puts it right there. In him was life. Yeah, that's right. Life existed. You know, it's not like uh, he was the one who came along and created life. No, he is life. That's right. That's him. Mm. That's God. That's the nature of God. God is life. Mm. It just exists. That's right. It's it's like when he comes to Moses in the wilderness and Moses says, who am I going to tell the Israelites you are? And he just says, I am. That's right. Mm. I exist. Just go and tell them that the one who exists. Mm. You know, because all of the Egyptian gods had an origin story. Mm. And God comes along and says, I've got no origin story. I exist. Yeah. I think it also kind of reveals to us like the nature of of the creation that we live in in terms of the existence of the universe and how it functions. That it's like very clear here that life in in life in him was life. It's like okay, like our existence, you know, and our continual like the sustaining of the universe only exists because God exists. You know, we can't exist outside of God. In, in that sense. But it keeps going on here. So we've read verse 4 and 5. Well, we got to verse 5 and it says, And the light shines in the darkness, uh, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, then it continues on in verse 6. There was a man sent, by, uh, sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the light of truth, um, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, 
and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as were received, uh, as many as received him, to to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Of God. Uh, amazing passage, just incredible passage that we've got right here. And, you know, I was just doing a quick search while uh, Lawson was reading that because, you know, you've got these expressions that John uses here. You know, in the beginning was the Word, mm. in Him was life, where He is just expressing this whole concept of, you know, God exists, God is life. And so I did, I did a quick search on that because I'm thinking, okay, that obviously connects to, back to Moses where God introduces himself as the I am. Mm. How many times do you think that John speaks of, uses, you know, in, 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 his, uh, in his bringing to us the gospel message, uses the concept of I am? Well, I know he was, he was the like, most prolific of it because he's the yes. one that like, gives the stories about Jesus going and speaking and telling them that, you know, before Abraham was, I am, I am. like yep. all those different things. But yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Like how if many you were, times? If you were to take Ball, a guess. Ballpark, well, like, like, I don't know, like 30 times? 70. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. 70. Okay. That, that blew me like, away because I was thinking, I was thinking like uh, 20. Yeah. You know, I thought 20 would be a good number. I thought I'll just, I'll just look this up real yeah, quick. Because it's like, it's probably like, Two stories that are like super clear, where it's like, oh yep. yeah, 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 he definitely but there's is there. A, but there's a heap of really subtle ones, mm. heaps and heaps of really, really subtle ones where um, you've got Jesus being introduced as I am. And I remember, like many, many years ago, having a a, a social media Bible study where somebody said, "Let's study all of the I am statements that uh, that that John John makes." Mm. And so we were just doing the social media study on, online and we were just reading through, you know, the writings of, of, of John and his expression of the gospel message and looking for um, all these I am statements. And I was remember being surprised at the time how many people were coming up with and how obscure some of them were because, mm. you know, there's so, so many of them that are so famous. And then, um, and, and then yeah, so I just uh, thought, well, we'll look it up and see. And there were 70 of them. <laughs> wow, wow. 70 on the nose. Okay, so what do these verses verses teach us about Jesus as our creator and as our redeemer? Because, I mean, this passage, it begins with Jesus as our creator. That's right. And then goes on to talk about him as our recreator. Mm. Recreating us in his image. Recreating us as a new person. Mm. I think like I uh, I think that shift happens when it introduces John the Baptist into the story uh into this passage here when we get to verse 6 and it's this idea of of essentially like he he John is connecting with John the writer is connecting you know these very uh high minded ideas of God um being the the ultimate creator and everything is life you know and then brings it into the context of oh and there was a man named John who was proclaiming that he, this I am is about to come um, and then he lists out the purpose of that and how that plays out. You know, he it's it's interesting here. Like, unlike you, you read the Gospel of Mark, for example, it's just like, oh, Jesus showed up and he did this and he did this and he did this, and by the end, it's like, oh, and, and now we can tell he's the Son of God. Whereas from the very beginning, John is, starts there. He starts there. Um, yep. Very theologically dense um, and 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 pointed. You know, book here. He's just like. I'm making a real point about this, and I'm going to show you from the beginning to the end. 
yes. that everything that happened, and he starts with what John says. Uh, John so the Mark, Baptist. So Mark kind of builds a case. That's right. And draws a conclusion. Yeah. And that's all the synoptic gospels. That's like right. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're yes. all just like. They build a case and draw a conclusion. Yeah, that's right. And John draws a conclusion and then builds a case. That's right. Yeah. And this is a this is an interesting technique that, you know, sometimes we use when we're preaching. Mm. You, know, you preach a sermon and you will actually state your conclusion in the first line. Yeah, that's right. And that can be pretty gnarly at times. Yeah. Because people go, wait, what? Because you know, <laughs> how you are you allowed to say that? <laughs> how are you allowed to say that? Because you haven't built a, you know, you haven't actually gone through and built a case as to the fact that the Bible does actually say that. And they're like, I've never heard this before. This is new. I'm suddenly very sus about. And then you start to present. And it's like, yeah. okay, all right. Bible does say that. Yep. All right. It's there. It's in black and white. You can't really argue with it. Um, and it's a very good way of catching people's attention. Mm. You know, you come out with a statement like that at the very beginning of your gospel, like John does, and you've immediately got people's attention. It's going to mm. polarize people initially, but open-minded people are going to then ask to see the evidence. And that's exactly what John describes here as we yes. get towards the end of this passage where he says, like, you know, he was in the world uh, and, you know, it was made known through him, like, what God wanted for them. And those, there would, and he, make, he makes the point from the very beginning, like, many would reject him. Many would not receive him, but to those who would receive him, they would become the sons of God. Yes. It's, yeah, like, he, he's even showing the, the he's, he's not only telling them, like, oh, yeah, like, dude, Jesus is the son of God. Like, it's like me, you know, getting up to preach and being like, cheese is bad or, or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, but, you know, making a point. But then it's like, oh, and heaps of you aren't going to believe me. That's that's well, that's what he's that's how he's introducing his gospel. <laughs> like like oh yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, and a bunch of you aren't gonna aren't gonna believe me. But it's but to those who do, and so you'll then be a saved. bunch of people come along and they don't believe John, and he's like, well, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He knew. Well, and that's I think John is in the only position where he's able to do that because he, being the last gospel writer, he's really seen the beginning of, of the church play out. You know, he's seen that all before his eyes. He's seen the rejection. Uh, he's seen the persecution, but he's also seen the acceptance and the growth of the church. And for him, more than any other biblical writer, because he is the oldest, and this is, you know, one of the furthest along written books of the Bible, uh, you know, one of the, the latest written books of the Bible that we have, he knew, like, hey, like, like you're going to reject. Not everybody's going to accept this. Yeah. God doesn't force people ever. That's right. That's he doesn't right. force, force people to accept him. That is our free choice. That is our, our opportunity to be able to make a decision for Jesus Christ, and that's what makes it so wonderful. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, so this is an interesting question because I know the answer. But the reason I know the answer was because Producer Shell asked me the question beforehand and said, do you know the answer for this one? Is this a 500-point question? I'm like, that is definitely a 500-point question because then back then I didn't know the answer. I had to ask. <laughs> so I didn't know the answer for this one. So you definitely have bragging rights if you can figure it out. And, of course, we like to encourage our... Uh, listeners who are regular church attenders, if you are a regular attender, test yourself out. Do some meditation on it. See if you can scrape back through those memory cells and find out what and, and remember what the answer is. If you're not a regular church attender, jump online, do some Googling, 
uh, get a Bible app, pick up a Bible, do some research and see if you can dig out the answer for yourself. I can see the phone ringing out there already. Unbelievable. Good stuff. Go for it, guys. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we've got this passage in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 13 that we've been looking at. And this passage really is all about two things, Jesus as our creator and as our redeemer, which is really about one thing. Mm. It's about Jesus as our creator because redemption is an act of creation. It is God recreating his image in us. That's right. So God creates us in the first place and then he recreates us because we need that because of sin coming into the world. Now, what we're going to look at next is how this relates to yesterday's Bible study because in yesterday we were looking at two different versions of the Ten Commandments, Mm -hmm. one from Deuteronomy, one from Exodus. So why don't you grab for us? Which one do you want to grab? I'll grab grab Deuteronomy. How about that? Okay, fair enough. You grab for us Exodus 20. I'll grab Deuteronomy 5 and two different wordings of the commandments. So we've been talking about rest uh, this week, and particularly in the context of the Sabbath, which has been largely lost, unfortunately, in Christianity today. People just sort of work straight through it, work seven days, never get any rest. We need to have rest. Uh, all right, and rest is rejuvenating. Believe me, it's very rejuvenating. Uh, where are we? Deuteronomy chapter 5. Why don't you read for us Exodus 20 verse 11? Yeah. Go for it. For in six days the Lord created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, you could have read it, but you recited it instead. <laughs> I just recited it, dude. <laughs> okay, so what is the Sabbath a memorial of here? Of creation. Creation. Let me read it from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse uh, 15. It says, Remember that you were a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath a memorial of here? Redemption. or Redemption. Coming out of slavery, yeah. Absolutely. Because when you look at the, you know, the annual festival that was given to the Israelite people to remember their exodus from Egypt, it's the Passover. Mm. What is the Passover all about? The Passover is all about redemption. When did Jesus die? Jesus died on the Passover because the Passover is all about redemption. It's all about Jesus paying the price for our life. Mm. It's all about the lamb who dies in place of us. In the Passover, they would sacrifice the lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their house, showing that the lamb had died in place of the firstborn son of the house. And the angel of death would then pass over that house and go to those houses that had not placed their faith in God. Mm. And so what you've got in John chapter 1 is an introduction as to who Jesus is. He's our creator and our redeemer. In the Sabbath, you've got a reminder of who Jesus is. He is our creator and he is our redeemer. This is what the memorial of the Sabbath is all about. And that's why if you go to Ezekiel, let me just read this from Ezekiel. Great passage over here. Uh, let me see. I think it's like in chapter, where are we? 20 and verse 12, where, where Jesus says this, More, God says this, Moreover also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that I am the Lord that sanctifies them or redeems them. Mm. And so this is what it is. It's a weekly reminder that Jesus is our, uh, our, our the, the one who creates us and the one who Recreates us, mm. changes us, 
comes into our heart, gives us not just that rest from physical labor, but also a rest from sin, Mm. a rest from guilt, a rest from everything that plagues our conscience. Jesus wants to come into our life by the power of his grace and give us that gift. Mm. It's what it's all about. Okay, so continuing on in our Bible study on this same thought, let's go to Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 13. Isaiah 58 and verse 13. I talk to people who uh, who keep the Sabbath from time to time, and when you... Isaiah 58, 15? 13. 13, okay. Yes. Why don't you read that one for us? Okay, the Bible says in Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen, if you turn your foot away from the Sabbath, from doing my pleasure on the holy day, uh, from doing sorry, from doing your pleasure on the holy day, um, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, you shall honor Him and not do your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Okay, and it continues on there, and in the... Why don't you read the next verse as well, verse 14? In verse 14, it says, You shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay, so the Bible says here that we are to call the Sabbath a delight, Mm. the holy of the Lord. And that it's a great time of great celebration where God causes us to ride on the high places of the earth and feed us with the heritage of Jacob uh, because God has promised us this. Mm. Sometimes I find people who keep the Sabbath and they do just like the Jews did and add rules. Mm. Lots and lots and lots of rules. And the Sabbath ceases to be a delight. It becomes that day when you wake up and I was talking to a Jewish person about this when I was uh, traveling through Israel, and uh, and and he basically had become, I guess, quite cynical in relationship to the Jewish faith because he said to be a Jew on the Sabbath from the moment the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, you never stop thinking about the things that you cannot do. Mm. That's the only the only way you can actually keep the Sabbath. And it kind of it was a bit of a contrast because you see, you know, you go down to the Wailing Wall and places like that on Friday evening and there's just so much celebration and so much joy and so much happiness because the Sabbath is coming in and it's about to begin. But then you hear that side of it and you think, yeah, you know what? The Bible says the Sabbath is to be a, light, a delight. If it is not the best day of the week, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, wow. So stop and think about that. If you've never kept the Sabbath before, here's a very special blessing that you can receive. And if you are a Sabbath keeper, is it the best day of the week? Or is it a burden? If it's a burden, you got it wrong. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is... Can I be saved by the blood of Christ alone? Well, that's an interesting question because, like, can you be saved any other way? If anyone's got any other way of person being saved other than by the blood of Christ alone, I'd like to hear it. I've certainly never heard of any other way by which a person can be saved. Mm -hmm. You can't add anything to the blood of Christ. How are you going to do that? I mean, this is... It's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a question that also comes through with a little bit of context that... Uh, has been a little bit of a discussion uh, 
via the text message, and this was kind of the last question that came through at the end of that. And so I'm going to give a, bit of a, a little bit of a context to it because we've been talking this week, well, for the, probably the latter half of this week, our Bible study has looked at the question of the Sabbath. And so some people are saying, okay, you know, where does obedience fit into the whole equation of salvation? Why is obedience important? Well, first of all, the Bible says, uh, if you love me, keep my commandments. And obedience is an expression of love to God. And so the question, nobody's, nobody's posing any questions about salvation. Everybody believes in salvation by grace alone. That's very simple. That's very clear. Uh, the Bible is super, you know, black and white on that particular issue. And so then the, the next question that comes up then is, okay, if we are all, if we all agree and we all believe in salvation by grace alone, what about how is a person lost? Can a person be lost by disobedience? So if you look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and they're created perfect, they are sustained by the grace of God, but when they choose to sin, they're lost and they come under the condemnation of death. And so how is a person lost? A person is lost by sin, by turning away from God, by rejecting what God says. And so this is probably the question we need to look at and the Question that kind of goes along with that, you know, is it possible for a saved person to turn away from God? Now, you know, this is obviously going to be much bigger than the context of the specific issue that we're looking at, but in in Luke chapter 8, and you've got many parables like this, I think, um, you know, Matthew chapter 25, the first 13, 14 verses there, parable of the virgins is an excellent one that illustrates this same point, but it really comes out over and over and over again in the in the parables, and that is, where do we find our assurance of salvation? Do we find our assurance of salvation in a decision that we made at some particular point in our life, or do we find our assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ? So in the parable here, it's the parable of the sower, and you've got four different kinds of ground which represent four different kinds of hearers of the word of God. Uh, The Bible says that uh, in verse 12, those by the path are those that hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so very simply the Bible is talking about people here. They hear the word of God and the devil takes it out of their hearts and they never give their lives to Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice the context here because the context that Jesus creates at this particular point is very important when he speaks about belief. Lest they believe and be saved. He's talking about belief that is saving belief. He goes on. He says, Those on the rock are those which when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no root which for a while believe, obviously, and receive salvation, and in time of temptation, fall away. Then in verse 14, those which fell among thorns are those which when they have heard, uh, basically Australians, um, go forth and are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and bring forth no fruit to perfection. That is our great danger in Western civilization. And finally, but those on the good ground are those which in an honest and a good heart, hearing the word of God, keep it, and bring it forth with patience. So the key word there is keep it. And so the implication that Jesus is making here very, very strongly is that our salvation is not found in a decision that we made at some point in our life. Our salvation is found in Jesus Christ. We should always have assurance of salvation. We should never live for a moment without assurance of salvation, but that assurance should be in Jesus Christ. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. If if Jesus is ours... We have nothing to fear. 
It's when we turn away from Jesus. It's when we rebel against Jesus. When we choose a life of sin, that's when we come in danger of walking away from salvation and something that we need to always be careful of. So the issue here is not about how a person is saved. A person is saved by grace alone. The issue is how a person is lost. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.